Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She ariseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth the vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sitteth among the elders of the land, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is a law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her own of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Title the message this morning simply Mother, the heart of the home, the health of a nation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have To open your precious word, thank you for your promises and the truths that you give us in your word, the instruction that we can receive from it. Do thank you for this day that's set aside to honor mothers. And Father, I pray that as we look into the word of God today, that we would be encouraged. Pray especially for mothers and mothers and daughters, and I pray that they would be encouraged and strengthened in their resolve to seek your will for their life, whatever that might be, though the world may consider it second best, or unimportant, or insignificant. Yet, Father, I pray that you just encourage and strengthen them in their resolve to obey your word, to seek your will. Thank you again for your blessings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I realize as one observes and sometimes experiences the condition of motherhood and homes in America today, causes some to ask the question, why would anyone get married? Or, who would want to? I understand why some feel that way, because of circumstances in life. Even in the Bible, some marriages and homes were wrought with catastrophe. Yet, in the wisdom and plan of God, nothing in this life can compare to the blessings and fulfillment of a home where God is glorified, 
where husbands love their wives and wives lovingly and willingly submit to their husbands and children are raised up as an heritage of the Lord. But it does require that we submit to God's design for marriage and the home. And as we think particularly today of mothers, I want to notice four things as we consider this passage and some others about a mother. Of course, this is, this is kind of given here for us a kind of a, a picture of an ideal mother. Uh, uh, but, but in reality is there are no such thing as perfect mothers. I was thinking about that quote on the front of the bulletin this morning. You know, uh, wise people learn from the errors of, errors of others. Foolish people use the errors of others as excuses to justify their wickedness. Um, no such thing as a perfect mother, no such thing as a perfect father. You know, we all know that. We all understand that. So young people don't ever try to use your parents as an excuse because you are without excuse. But be that as it may, I want to notice four things about mother's motherhood this morning. First of all, her place. Her place. In verse 15 says, She ariseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. And then again in verse 27 it says, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her place is her household. We're talking here about the virtuous woman, or the virtuous mother. She is a crown to her husband and a blessing to her children, and she gives herself to her household. Her household. In the New Testament, Titus 2.5 describes her as a keeper at home. A keeper at home. Now, Strong's describes, defines the keeper at home as a guard. A stare at home, i.e., that is, domestically inclined. A keeper at home. Thayer's Greek lexicon says, caring for the house, working at home. Dictionary.com describes keeper as a person who guards or watches as at a prison. Some think their home is a prison. Some as at a prison or a gate. But she's a guard. Keeper is a guard. A person who assumes responsibility for another's behavior. A person who is responsible for the maintenance of something. A person charged with responsibility for the preservation and conservation of something valuable. And there's nothing more valuable, I submit to you today, than the homes, our homes. A person who conforms or to or abides by a requirement. So her place was in the home. Johanna stayed home with Samuel until she had weaned him, and then she took him up to the house of the Lord and left him there. She stayed home. I was forwarded an article, a short article here a few years ago, and I saved it. It's called Working Women. And it says, quote, Today there are so many things that compete for time and affections of a godly woman. There are careers, bigger homes to live in, nicer cars to drive, and what falls by the wayside? Being keepers at home. Placing husbands and children first after the Lord, of course. In the beginning, when God created everything and called it good, the family unit was intact. They lived together. They worked together. They learned together. 
Today, the family unit is under attack and has many cases fallen apart. This is a direct attack by the enemy of God to undermine what the Lord has established. Husbands are called to be providers and heads of their homes. Women are to help their husbands, but first priority would be to keep and guard the home, loving their husband and raising their children. Proverbs 31, are these verses specific regarding how much time a woman was outside the home? How many of these verses can apply to things she did inside the home? Did she perhaps take her children with her to deliver her goods as she taught them to be productive? Or did she find babysitters or perhaps put them in care of others to train because she was too busy? Would that be loving her children? When you compare Titus and Proverbs verses, do they conflict? What if you also factor in 1 Timothy 5.14? Does that conflict with the whole of Scripture regarding the women's priorities or support it? You know, the challenge, are you doing the things the way the Lord says in his word or how you fall into the world's way pray and rearrange your family priorities if that is needful you know and and so her place here according to scripture was in the home and she was to be a keeper at home secondly we notice her priority in verses 11 and 12 it says the heart of her husband does safety trust in her so that she shall have no needle spoil she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So her priority here is, first of all, she sees to her husband's needs. In verse 11 again it says, The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of the spoil. You know, Titus 2.4 says, The aged women are teaching young women to love their husbands and to love their children. The word love their husbands there means fond of man, i.e. affectionate as a wife, to love their husbands. You know, much friction in homes today is directly related to a frigid wife or a wife who does not put priority in meeting the needs of her husband. Someone said, quote, to live for him is her highest happiness, unquote. You know, the Bible tells us that she was made for him. God made Eve for Adam. 1 Corinthians eleven nine says, Neither was a man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. One person said, quote, God intended for the marriage relationship to be the hallmark of the Christian home. The love relationship between husband and wife should provide the clearest picture of Christ's love. The model it provides to children, the church, and the world would effectively draw others to the love of Christ. So there ought to be love and affection, and she is to meet the needs of her husband, giving love and affection uh, to him. But the second thing, notice here, she is to be obedient also to her husband. Verse 12 says, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, in 1 Peter, Peter mentions talks about this in verses, uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 5 for 6. He gives the example of Sarah. He says, For after this manner in old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So her adornment, or what she put on, was being in subjection to her own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, and not afraid with any amazement. And then Titus 2.5 says, To be discreet, chaste, keep it at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, 
that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, a godly mother is to have the confidence of her husband that she will guide the house with wisdom and discretion, with faith in God, in accordance with his commands. You know, he is the Lord of the house. The wife is to be the steward, if you will. The manager, you might say, of the house. We'll look at this a little bit more later. But, but he is to have confidence, he should have confidence in her that she will, she will guide the house and the children, and raising the children, in, in accordance with his commands, uh, with his instruction. In his book, uh, Charles Bridges, on his commentary on Proverbs, <coughs> excuse me, on page 621, he says this, He feels his comfort is regard, to be regarded, his burdens relieved, his mind exempted from teasing vexations. He is at ease in constrained absence from the home, having left his interests safe in her keeping, while he is sure that his return will be welcomed with a gladdening smile. A faithful wife and a confiding husband thus mutually bless each other. With such a jewel for his wife, the husband has no misgivings. His home is the home of his heart. He needs not to look into the matters entrusted to her with suspicious eye. He has no reserves or jealousies. Ruling in this sphere without, he encourages her to rule in her sphere within. All is conducted with such prudence and economy that he has no need to spoil, no temptation to unjust gain, no need to leave his happy home in order to enrich himself with the soldier's spoil. The attachment of such a wife is as lasting as the time of their union, constant and consistent. Instead of abusing confidence, she seeks only to make herself daily more worthy of it, not fretful and uncertain, caring how she may please her husband. He says, would it that were always so? Well, look at Eve. The helpmeet became the tempter. Satan's wife, or sought Satan's. Solomon's wives drawing away his heart. Jezebel stirring her husband to abominable wickedness. Job's wife calling upon her husband to curse God and die. The painful cross of the brawling woman. This is a fearful contrast, evil and not good. Once again, is a mixture of evil with good, Rebecca caring for her husband with an act of opposition to God, yet wickedly deceiving him. Rachel loving Jacob, yet bringing idolatry into his family. Michael doing good to David at first in preserving his life, evil afterwards in despising him as a servant of God. Often we hear of prudent management, not in the fear of God, connecting with a teasing temper. But in this picture, it is good and not evil. Her husband's comfort is her interest and her rest, to live for him her highest happiness. You know, her priority is to obey her husband, to teach her children, to have faith in God. So that's her priority. Thirdly, I want you to notice her privilege. In Proverbs 31, again, verse 27, it says this, She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. The words there looketh well to the ways of her household. Looketh well means to observe accurately. Now we mentioned that her place is she's to be the, the keeper at home. She's the guardian or the watchman, if you will, of the home. 
And it says she looketh well. She observes accurately. Like a watchman on the wall who gives instruction or warnings based on his observation of things. And this is the, the privilege of a mother. To look well to the ways of her household. Of course, the word, the word ways has the idea of acting or the goings-on or the progressions of life. You know, often is, the word way is referred to like a path of life. And so she's a, she looketh well to the ways of her household. So she's observing, she is to look at what's going on in that house with her children. She's to observe. You know, and, and no one has the, sense, the senses to observe like a mother does the heart of her children. It's interesting to me that two times in Proverbs, Proverbs says this, Solomon under inspiration said this, Proverbs 1.8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Again, in chapter 6, verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. And if, if you look here in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1, it says, The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. His mother taught him. He summoned the wisdom of Solomon to seek the Lord, seek after the Lord, was imparted to him by his mother. By his mother. And as I mentioned a little earlier, God has made man the Lord of his house, and the mother the steward or the household manager, and so she is to impart these truths she, she has the privilege of teaching and looking well to their ways, their, their, how they're going on in life. And so she has the, 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 the privilege of, of molding them and shaping their lives. 1 Timothy four or 5, 14. Again, I will, therefore, that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house. Same idea. Guide the house. To guide means to rule a household. To rule households, to manage family affairs. You know, even like it is today, most of the time, dad's away working. That's the way it was in Bible times. Sometimes they were away for months at a time. And so, so it, it was to the mother to rule the household or manage the family affairs. And we know from examples in the Bible, Moses was instructed by his mother until he was weaned. Samuel, Samuel was instructed or kept by his mother until he was taken to the tabernacle and left with Eli and his sons. Where do you think Samuel learned about the truths of God? Do you think he learned it from Eli and Eli's sons? I don't think so. See, he was thoroughly taught the law of God by Hannah. By Hannah. Herbert Lockyer, in, in All the Women of the Bible, speaking of Hannah, he had this to say.
excuse me. <clears throat> says the quote the spiritual lyric of Hannah. You know, Hannah gave praise to God after Samuel was born, and and then she she gave a psalm uh, or a song that she she praised God for it. And he says the spiritual lyric of Hannah is equal to any of the psalms, and is eloquent with divine attributes of power, holiness, knowledge, knowledge, majesty, and grace. Such an elevated poetic utterance, elicited by God's answer to her prayer, has stirred the hearts of all saints down the centuries. The following, and he, and he gives a parallel between her praise and Mary's praise. And he says that Hannah prayed in promise, and when her prayer was answered, quietly redeemed her promise. More than anything in the world, she wanted a son. And when God gave her one, she gave him back to the Lord. Although Samuel was not born to the priesthood, his mother had sacredly pledged him to the Lord, and that pledge must be kept no matter what it cost her in loneliness. So she weaned. When weaned, Samuel was taken to the house of the Lord, there to abide forever. Once a year she visited him, and what a human touch we have in that she made a little coat to wear. Her saintliness and sacrifice rewarded, for she bore Elkanah five more children. As for Samuel, he grew up to reflect his revered mother's godliness. True to the meaning of his own name, and in the likeness of his mother's prevailing intercession, he became a man of prayer and intercession all his days, and beyond all men he had power with and from God. Unquote. You see, Hannah had a great impact upon Samuel. You know, there's no greater way for mothers, for women to influence the world than through children. Think of the impact and influence, influence that Jochebed had in Moses. Or Hannah of Samuel. Or Elizabeth of John the Baptist in the history of Israel. Even Fox News host Tucker Carlson said this, quote, If you don't like the direction of the country, have children, raise them the way you want, consistent with your beliefs, unquote. And mothers have a special privilege of looking well to the ways of their household, of their children. They have a special... But I should notice, fourthly, her premium. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? Now, that's a good question. The question implies that they are difficult to find. They're not a dime a dozen. It's not easy to find a virtuous woman. He says, for her price is far above rubies. Now, I want to define that word virtuous. And I think you understand why I say they're not easy to find. They're not a dime a dozen. The word virtuous here means ability, uprightness, integrity, fitness. The... Uh, uh, Bible usage, online Bible usage defines it, it's, it's defined with, in English words this way, it's used this way, strength, might, 
efficiency, wealth, army, army, ability, efficiency, force. The word is translated, the Hebrew word is translated army 56 times in the Bible. And mighty man of valor 37 times. You see, the implication here is very apparent that there is some great strength in a virtuous woman. She has great power. She has great influence. You know, a wife or a mother who has given herself to her husband or children has great power and influence with man and with God. As I mentioned, you know, Jochebed, uh, who was the mother of Moses, or Hannah, or Bathsheba, as she taught Solomon here. And the influence, you know, think of the influence that Solomon had in the world in his time. He influenced all the nations around him. And much of that credit can go to his mother, who gave him warnings and destruction. That he looked well to the ways of his, to his ways. In Acts chapter 16, in the New Testament, we have an example of this. In Acts chapter 16, in verses 1 and 2, in Paul, and I think it's his second missionary journey, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. And notice this, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and at Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took him and circumcised him, because the Jews which were in those quarters, for they, all, they knew all that his father was a Greek. Now, we don't know much about Timothy's father. We do know something about his mother and his grandmother. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In fact, all that's ever said about Timothy's father was what we read about there in Acts chapter 16. Nothing else is ever said about his father. It just says his father was a Greek. We don't know if he may, be, he may have been a saved man. We don't know. Uh, many commentators think he probably was dead, that he had died. And that his mother would have probably raised him as a single mom, along with the help from her grandmother. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, without ceasing, for that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being nine full of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call remembrance the unfaith feigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. You know, again, 
Eunice would have been left if it is true that he was died, or he maybe was unsaved man. We don't know, but there's no mention of him. And you think if there, he had some influence, there would be mention of him. But anyway, but but Eunice and Lois instilled in Timothy a genuine faith in the Lord that would sustain him in the trials and difficulties of first century pastoral ministry. Now we're talking about days of severe persecution. Uh, Very difficult times of the early churches. But Eunice had and, and, and Lois had instilled in Timothy this unfeigned faith. In other words, it wasn't fake. It was real. It was genuine. It was a faith that was lived out in everyday life. They took God at His word and applied them, applied it to everyday life. You see, this, we see here this power of influence that's immeasurable. Uh, They influenced Timothy's life that impacted the world around them. Timothy became, of course, traveled with Paul and his ministry team for quite some time. And then, according to the history, he became a pastor at Ephesus for a while, one of the the stronger uh, early churches in that time. So, So they had great influence. Again, speaks to the value, the premium of a godly mother. You know, her price. You know, Proverbs here, verse 10, 31, 10 says, her price is far above rubies. You know, ruby, I'm told, I don't know much about jewelry, but I'm told the ruby is even more expensive than diamonds. That's what I've been told. So it's that of the highest value. And yet he says a virtuous woman is far above. That's what far above. Far off from the price. They don't compare. She is precious. Proverbs 12.4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. Ladies, there are no rewards comparable for you than that of a virtuous mother or a virtuous wife. You know, Proverbs 31.28-30 he says, her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. And so there's this eternal praise that will be yours. From the Lord, as it says here, and from your husband and your children. 
You see, we need to put value on what God values. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. You know, you may not, you know, some of you ladies may not ever be a mother. That's not a requirement that everybody be a mother. But you need to be a woman that fears the Lord, that fears the Lord, that obeys the Lord, that seeks to please him with your life. Of course, we all need to, to please the Lord with our lives. But as we think particularly of mothers today, you know, God has a, God has a, there's a premium on a woman or a mother that fears the Lord, that seeks to please the Lord by loving her husband and loving her children. Might God help you. Might God help us to please him in what we do. And live to please him and be obedient. To train up another generation that would serve the Lord.